Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Minnesota Attorney General Lori Swanson on her immigration ban lawsuit, good food access in Minnesota, and a tribute to the late Ray Christensen. But first... Smoking and drinking got a lot of attention at the state capitol this week, but we're not talking about partying, are we, Bill Werner? (laughs) No, we're not, Scott. This time we are actually talking about state laws. There's a move afoot by Republicans of the legislature to freeze the state cigarette tax at $3.04 per pack, which would cancel the automatic annual increase that's tied to the retail price of cigarettes. Brian Carr with the Minnesota Retailers Association stated his case to lawmakers this week. Minnesota is already the only state to assess a separate sales tax on cigarettes that adjusts annually depending on the average price of a pack. Removing the autoflator does not roll back tobacco taxes. In fact, the bill would freeze the current excise tax and maintain one automatic adjustment rather than two. Minnesota now has the seventh highest cigarette tax rate in the country and the automatic adjustment drives consumer prices up to a level that is simply uncompetitive for our retailers. This increase happens without any legislative oversight and is paid by Minnesota consumers. Representative Jennifer Schultz, a Democrat from Duluth, says the state should maintain its cigarette tax, including that automatic inflator. We spend a lot of money in this state on health care related to smoking. And this money, I think um, one of our former governors, Palenti, Used it, called it a health care user fee to pay for that difference in the outcomes um, to improve, to address the health issues. So if we reduce this amount, our state is going to be in trouble because we won't be able to pay for the health effects, the negative health effects. Representative Lynn Carlson from Crystal also opposes freezing the cigarette tax and had a personal note. My father died, as many, many smokers do, from uh, smoke-related illnesses. He worked for the railroad, had a good job with the railroad, but had to take early retirement because his health was such because his lungs could no longer allow him to, uh, part of his job was outside. So when he took early retirement due to health issues and smoking-related issues for the driver, uh, that meant that uh, both my father and mother for the rest of their lives had a smaller pension than what he might have had had his health remained where he could have worked until a normal retirement age. So there are some costs that um, I think we, uh, we need to, uh, to talk about, and I think they have to be on the table. But House Speaker Kurt Dowd supports the cigarette tax freeze. The problem with the, the cigarette tax is it broke the promise that Democrats made to Minnesotans when they said they were only going to tax the rich. Uh, it's basically one of the most regressive taxes that you can put on Minnesotans, just like the gas tax. Um, it hurts low-income Minnesotans much, much more than, than higher-income Minnesotans. Um, and, and, you know, we frankly just, it's bad tax policy. We shouldn't have automatic uh, inflators in, in, in revenue policy. And what about those who say that, though, however, it costs the state a lot of money, money when kids start smoking or other people smoke and therefore we need to discourage that how would you respond? well I think we already have one of the highest cigarette taxes in the in the country if that if that's going to be a deterrent it's already there we will see how much momentum builds on this issue in the upcoming weeks now let's talk about drinking 
A bill allowing bars in the central metro counties of Hennepin and Ramsey to stay open until 4 a.m. during Super Bowl 2018 at U.S. Bank Stadium. That bill seems to have fairly broad support at the legislature. But a bill that keys off on that, that would allow bars statewide to stay open until 4 a.m. all year. That has a tall hill to climb at the state capitol. Rockville Republican Jeff Howe, sponsor of the bill, told a committee this week if it's good public policy for Minneapolis and St. Paul, it's good for the rest of the state. And if it's good for the weekend of the Super Bowl, it should be good public policy for the entire year. And the reason I say that is if you look at this, uh, I know that there's plenty of... Uh, hotels that are renting out in St. Cloud for the Super Bowl. I'm sure there are locales in St. Cloud that want to stay open until 4 o'clock also. So if this is good public policy when we have it in Minneapolis and we have the event here and we have all these people here, then I would believe that it's good public policy everywhere. If you go out to Rockville during Rockfest, I'm sure that Rockville with Eddie's and Stoney's and the Hideaway Bar during Rockfest would love to stay open until 4 a.m. And I would venture to say that what criteria does the legislature use to determine one event is worthy of staying open until 4 a.m. and another event is not. Brooklyn Center Democrat Deborah Hillstrom has a different view of that. I would bet that Minneapolis and St. Paul ramp up um, their law enforcement um, duties and you have m many more people providing shuttle services during a short period of time and those aren't going to happen statewide for every single event. And Gina Calistro with the Minnesota chapter of Mothers Against Drunk Driving told lawmakers why her organization advocates for uniform bar closing hours across the state. In order to end the practice of bar hopping to find establishments with the later closing hours for just one more drink with the likelihood, likelihood of impaired driving as a result. Matt is concerned with the language in the bill before you. We believe it's permissive. Establishments serving alcohol may stay open till 4 a.m. We know there's already variation in closing times for many establishments that serve alcohol. But extending the permissible serving window another two hours later makes the likelihood of differing closing times even greater. This will encourage even more bar hopping and enhance drunk driving for patrons with a will to find that last drink. Matt is also concerned that this greater closing time variation will create even more significant burdens on already stretched law enforcement resources. In many rural areas in Minnesota, there already isn't a 24-7 law enforcement presence patrolling the roadways. By extending service hours and making more likely the variations in establishment closing times, a change in current law will make it even more challenging for law enforcement officers across the street to keep our highways safe. So, Scott, we'll see what happens in the coming weeks on two issues of concern to a lot of Minnesotans, namely smoking and drinking. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return after this. As a young teenage boy, I didn't even know what autism was. How do you even spell that? A few years later, I heard that a friend's cousin's son had been diagnosed with autism. I still wasn't sure what that really meant. When I went to college, my roommate's brother had autism. When I moved to the city for work, my best friend called me and told me his son had been diagnosed with autism. We were both in shock. I still remember the day I walked into the house and saw that look on my wife's face. I knew something was wrong. I'll never forget how I felt when she said, our son has autism. Autism is getting closer to home. Today, one in 110 children is diagnosed with autism. 
That's a 600% increase in the last 20 years. Learn the signs at AutismSpeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. A federal appeals court's recent decision to block President Donald Trump's immigration order was cause for celebration for some and frustration for others, including the Trump administration. I recently spoke with Minnesota Attorney General Lori Swanson about why she filed a federal lawsuit along with Washington State over the immigration order. We heard from uh, all kinds of different people who called into the office expressing concerns about the travel ban. First came the calls from families. Um, we had situations where people who were American citizens had children who were abroad and couldn't get back and they were separated from little children, two years old, four years old. That was kind of the initial wave of calls is just people having trouble uh, with the ban. In one case, there was an American citizen who had dual citizenship. He's a professor at the University of Minnesota. He was traveling abroad and was actually stopped and couldn't get back even though he's a United States citizen. So that was kind of the initial concerns that came in. But then other concerns started coming in. We got uh, concerns from people about rural development in rural Minnesota uh, when it comes to hospitals. We have a huge doctor shortage in rural parts of our state. We have 121 areas that have been designated by the federal government as having a shortage of primary care physicians to treat patients. And in a lot of towns, we have 79 critical access hospitals in Minnesota, which are also designated by the federal government as being critical to the delivery of patient care. And so with a physician shortage, the travel ban ends up having an impact on that too, uh, because we rely on foreign-born physicians to deliver health care in rural Minnesota. 23% of physicians in Minnesota were born in another country, and up to 40% of all patient visits in rural America occur with a foreign-born physician. There's a lot of reasons we have a primary care physician shortage. One is there's a lot of primary care doctors who are retiring. Um, second is students go off to medical school. They incur you know, $200,000 in student loans and then end up not returning home, instead living in the city where they went to school oftentimes. We have an aging population that is in need of care. As people get older, they need more health care. And so all of those things have contributed to this physician shortage, and yet we're relying on rural you know, foreign-born physicians to deal with it. We even have programs in the state of Minnesota to sort of incentivize or encourage uh, the recruitment of foreign doctors to help deal with these 120 communities that don't have enough primary care doctors. There's a program called Conrad 20, which um, allows states to designate 30 doctors born in other countries who uh, designate them to the federal government where they can stick around after they graduate from medical school and have a visa waiver where they can stay longer if they're meeting uh, an unmet need in rural Minnesota. So we started getting calls from people in the medical community concerned about that. We then got calls from people in the corporate community and business world really concerned about the impact of the travel ban on business. Um, we live in a global wor world. There's a lot of corporations rely on international know-how to help you know develop products and sell products. And we got calls from the business community concerned about the impact of the travel ban. I think about 100 corporations uh, came together and filed a friend of the court brief in our case. And you've seen CEOs from some of the largest companies in the country, you know, Levi Strauss, Ford, General Electric, all speaking out, expressing concerns about the travel ban on, on them. 
And then we also heard just about kind of the chilling effect of the travel ban on maybe those, you know, foreign-born doctors who aren't here yet, but, you know, are looking at perhaps coming. And right now, as we speak, we're undergoing um, basically matching medical residents to medical schools. Right now, this is the time when you do it where all of the people who might want to study at a medical school are matched with the institutions, and they're picking them, like, as we speak. And yet, with the ban, there was trepidation, gee, you know, if my country's not on the list, is it going to expand to other countries? And even if I can get in, what's going to happen if I, you know, leave a spouse back at home or something like that? So it was really just those patient and people stories, um, you know, parents even having kids who needed medical treatment where they, the, they've lived here forever, the parents, and, you know, can't get a kid back home for medical treatment. And it was really those stories then that drove our involvement in the case. The polls seem to show Americans are actually split on the ban, and I'm wondering if you've heard negative feedback from people uh, since you filed the suit. We, we, I mean, we hear from both. Um, we hear people who say, you know, thank you, uh, we're, you know, appreciative of it. We think it's, you know, the right thing to do. We hear from some people who say, you know, why did you file that lawsuit? So it's like that almost every time we file a lawsuit, though, you get people who say, you know, it's good you filed. Other people who say, you know, I wish you wouldn't have filed. But, you know, from my perspective, you, you know, when you're looking at the constitutional issues, you you got to just try to apply the law as fairly as you can and in the best interest of what the Constitution requires. And so this case is, you know, about constitutional principles, separation, um, or I mean, separation of powers between the two branches. It's about, you know, checks and balances. And application of pretty weighty constitutional principles. The polls seem to show Americans are actually split on the ban, and I'm wondering if you've heard negative feedback from people uh, since you filed the suit. There is no doubt that a president has very broad powers when it comes to national security. I mean, that's absolutely true that a president has really broad powers and should have very broad powers when it comes to national security. What the Ninth Circuit said, though, is that those powers aren't above the Constitution, and so that even a presidential executive order is subject to review by the judicial branch for uh, c consistency with the Constitution, and that any time the government acts, it still has to act within the framework of the Constitution. And, and so those same arguments were made in court to the Ninth Circuit, where they had argued, you know, it's just completely unreviewable because these powers are so broad. And the Ninth Circuit said, no, it is reviewable for purposes of determining, are you applying the constitutional principles on which this country is founded? At this point, we're still awaiting the answer to what happens next. Thank you to my guest, Minnesota Attorney General Lori Swanson. Minnesota Matters will return after this. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. 
Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. State lawmakers reached across the aisle this week to help fund a bill that would address challenges many Minnesotans have in accessing healthy and affordable foods. Tasha Radel has more. Hundreds of thousands of Minnesotans currently live in areas where they have limited or no access to healthy foods such as fruits, vegetables, dairy, whole grains, and lean meats and poultry. More than 340,000 Minnesotans face both distance and income as a barrier to obtaining these healthy, affordable foods, and approximately 235,000 Minnesotans live more than 10 miles away from a large grocery store or supermarket. Joining me now to talk about the Good Food Access Program is Rachel Callanan with the American Heart Association. Rachel, what exactly is the Good Food Access Program? The Good Food Access Problem is a new statute that was enacted last year, a new program created by the Minnesota Legislature. It is established at the Minnesota Department of Agriculture, and their goal is to supply communities with resources through grants, loans, or technical assistance to help address their uh, food access needs. So uh, in many communities, we're seeing that grocery stores have closed their doors um, or communities are lacking access to healthy food. So these resources would go to help expand refrigeration at a store, um, perhaps help a new store uh, get established, uh, work with communities to look at delivery services or mobile market opportunities. And if we look at the state, kind of the whole picture, I understand that there's a growing concern in greater Minnesota about the lack of access to healthy and affordable food. Correct. One of our concerns is that uh, the University of Minnesota has conducted a study, uh, a survey of smaller rural grocery stores across the state And many of those, 62% of those owners that were surveyed said that they plan to get out of the business uh, through retirement or selling their business in the next 10 years. So the concern and question is, once those people leave the grocery industry, uh, is there a supply of people who want to come in uh, and take over those stores, or are there other models that we need to explore to make sure that those communities don't lose their access to affordable and healthy food. 
And if I remember right, legislation was introduced in both the House and Senate this past week to help with continued funding for the Good Food Access Program. Uh, Rachel, how much money are we talking? Yeah, the program, Good Food Access Program was established last year in state law. And this year we're going back to the legislature to ask them for funding. Uh, $10 million per year would be able to take a very good Uh, approach at establishing the program and getting the resources out to communities that need resources to ensure there's healthy food access. Now, it's not only lawmakers that are reaching across the aisle in support of this bill. I understand that there's a number of groups from around the state. Is that right? Yes, there is a broad coalition of groups coming together through the Minnesotans for Healthy Kids Coalition to support this legislation. And it is health groups, low-income, anti-poverty groups, uh, community groups, and a whole range of economic development groups coming together to really help solve this problem. Uh, The Minnesotans for Healthy Kids Coalition is a coalition specifically focused on addressing childhood obesity issues through public policy. So that is where groups are coming together to really work on this issue. Well, Rachel, we're about out of time. Uh, Any final thoughts today? Um, I think the important thing to know is this truly is a statewide challenge for us. We're seeing areas of the state in broad areas in rural Minnesota, even some suburban communities and in the urban centers of our cities where there is lack of access to affordable and healthy food. So it's one of these issues that really spans party lines. Uh, There's a lot of momentum and bipartisan support for the issue at the Capitol. Thanks again to my guest, Rachel Callanan, with the American Heart Association. For more information on the Good Food Access Program, you can head to the Minnesota Department of Agriculture's website. That address is mda.state.mn.us. Again, that's mda.state.mn.us. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Last night, we put on an epic light show. Yeah, we did. The crowd loved us. We love the crowd. Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah, but did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours. (sighs) And we're fireflies. Yeah, we are. Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow in the dark like this before. And we invented glow in the dark. Yeah, we invented it. And we're going to be out here every night rocking out our light show at a forest near you. So come check us out. Check us out. And bring your kid all ages show. Oh, but uh, don't bring any of those glass jars because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah, and I'm super claustrophobic. Whether you're rocking their world or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. Come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you and discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later. Yeah, see you soon. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Here in Minnesota, we continue to remember the great Ray Christensen, who died earlier this month. The former voice of the Golden Gophers and Hall of Fame broadcaster left an unforgettable mark on the state. MNN pays tribute. 50 years of bringing gopher sports into your home. 
Over 500 Gopher football games, 1,300 Gopher basketball games, countless memories. Learfield remembers the voice of the Golden Gophers, Ray Christensen. The snap, the place, and the kick. They got it away, and it is good! It is good, and the players swarm onto the field. The clock says zero, and the Gophers have upset the number two team in the nation, Penn State, 24 to 23. This is Matt LePay, and as the radio voice of Wisconsin football and basketball, I had the privilege of getting to know Ray Christensen through his incredible broadcasting career, specifically his work with the University of Minnesota. Without a doubt, Ray's talent ranks him among the very best in the history of our industry. More importantly, I'll always remember Ray as a wonderful man, always gracious with his time, be it with young broadcasters, even older ones, and of course with players, coaches, and the great fans of Gopher Athletics. We are sad to hear of his passing. I would hope the mere mention of the name Ray Christensen will bring back memories of thrilling Gophers performances and the knowledge that he always represented the university in a first-class manner. Yes, we will miss Ray, but we will never, ever forget him. Gets it in now to Guyton. He starts it up court. He'll take the shot. You can count on it. He does. It's very short. And the Gophers have upset the number one team in the nation, Indiana, 77 to 75. Oh, the crowd goes crazy. I'll join them. I'm Don Fisher, and I do the radio play-by-play for Indiana football and basketball games. I became the voice of IU in 1973, and I had the very good fortune to meet Ray Christensen during that basketball season. We never had a lot of time to spend together, but it was always such a pleasure to see and converse with him before games. And as the years went on, I learned what a special person Ray truly was. He was kind, humble, a true gentleman, and a hugely gifted play-by-play talent that loved the Gophers but was always objective in his portrayal of games. Ray might have been small in stature, but he was a giant in our profession. And my deepest sympathy and prayers to Ray's family and friends, and may this legend rest in peace. And the Gophers coming over to the sideline and getting the little brown jug and holding it high. Oh, I hope the jug survives. And he gets the ball loose, and the Gophers have it, and Jacobson is in the front court. He goes all the way in and slams it in. The road to Indianapolis is now ready. It is paved with gold. Retired voice of the Purdue Boilermakers, Joe McConnell. Ray Christensen and I spent many years working the same market. I lived in the Twin Cities, but not, of course, nearly as long as uh, Ray did. It was from there. We both had a lot of the same interests. And one of the things that spurred our career, oddly enough, was our love of uh, and knowledge of classical music. It helped him with his Minnesota job, and it helped me with various stops along the way, including my final stop at Purdue. But that's one of the things we had in common. You know, I'm very sorry to hear that he's passed away. You know, I wish the best for Ray's family and Ray's followers, of which there were legions up there, and justifiably so. Ray had a marvelous career and was a great man. Everybody standing, so I'll stand for the final 1.8.
Here's the pass coming up court, and it is intercepted by the Gophers by James. Minnesota has the ball and the game. The Gophers are the winningest team in Minnesota history. The Gophers are the undisputed Big Ten champions. Inside the right hash mark bar a little bit. The ball is put down. The kick is up. It is good. Good. Time is out. The game is over. Minnesota has upset Michigan 20 to 17. And there is pandemonium on the field as the Gophers are going crazy. And the band members coming out to join the craziness. Dave Lee here. Very proud to say something about our friend Ray Christensen. Ray embodied the best of his generation and Minnesota, and he proudly served his country in World War II, by the way, and served every one of us in his broadcast at the University of Minnesota. His impact was profound, only superseded by his grace and humility. Ray was genuinely appreciative of anyone who took the time to listen through the years, and I know he would regard you as family. His daughter Sue shared this with me recently when she said on Saturday... We knew Dad was failing and wondered if he would like to watch the men's gopher basketball game. He said yes, and he watched the game intently with moments of sleep. He smiled when they won. He knew it. That was Ray Christensen's final gopher game. Appropriately enough, a victory. Broadcasting is, or at least should be, one person trying to communicate something to one other person, not a specific person. I hope I have reached you. And as always, I thank you for listening. This is Golden Gopher Sports. Keep it coming, no matter what the score. Keep it coming, please. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.